you will take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, message entitled, Lessons from Farming. Anybody here ever done any farming? Can I see a hand, please? I see that hand. All right. If you will, stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. And I will say to you that if I don't, if I don't, perceive that you have awakened from your slumber, I'm going to have everybody to do a lap around this building because you all seem to be off in Never Never Land. So let's, let's, uh, give, uh, let's wake up. Let's give the Lord our attention this morning because today this Jesus that Alicia just sang about is who we're learning from. Verse 4, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1, listen and follow along. This is indeed God's holy word. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was on the shore facing the sea. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, this occurred. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up right away since it didn't have deep soil. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it didn't have a root, it withered. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce a crop. Still others fell on good ground, and it produced a crop that increased 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Then he said, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Father, it is my prayer today that as we peer for a few minutes into your word, that we will hear what you have to say to us both individually and collectively. Father, we desire more than anything else a fresh word from you this morning. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Lessons from farming. Pause on that word, lessons. You know, there are some lessons in life that we learn for life. For instance, when most of us were teenagers, after a number of falls, we learned how to ride a bicycle. Hello? People tell me you never forget how to ride a bicycle. You ride a bicycle. When I was in my 40s, I had always wanted to learn to fly. And so in my 40s, I trained, and I learned the lessons equated with uh, aviation, and I learned to fly. You know, most of us, we can still ride a bike today. And honestly, I can probably sit down in a Piper Cub. haven't haven't logged an hour in over 10 years. I could probably sit down in a Piper Cub or a Cessna and and, uh, go right back at it again. I have to review a few things uh, with the airspace, but I, I still remember those lessons. You know, we learn things. I mean, we could go, we could take it a step further and talk about driving a car. Although having lived in this town, in this racing town, 
For almost eight years, I will tell you that some of us need to relearn to drive a car on the street instead of the racetrack. Do y'all catch what I'm giving you, man? You know, when you, when you learn lessons, they have desired outcomes. For instance, I, I remember when I was a kid and I learned to ride a bike. That meant that I didn't have to walk across the pasture and the roads to the ball field anymore. I could ride now. I remember when I learned to drive a car and got my driver's license in high school, it meant that I didn't have to walk the four miles. It was not in the snow. It was not uphill both ways. I just didn't have to walk those four miles from the high school football field to the house. We'd moved out in the country at that time because I, I could drive. It had a desired outcome. I know that when I learned to fly a plane, I love, particularly during the fall of the year, get in that Cessna and fly at about 1,500 to 2,000 feet and just adore God's creative power, His majesty, His glory, how He wove it together. Lessons are important. I want to say this to you. Every time you sit in a Sunday school class, every time you sit under the sound of a preacher, Brother David last week, me today, there are some lessons found in God's Word for us to learn. And they're not lessons to deposit at the door on our way out. They're lessons to stay with us forever. In fact, every time Jesus taught something, He taught (coughs) lessons for people to learn, for people to apply, for it to impact how they live. And, And today, these nine verses today, Jesus was masterful at taking the simple things and making them divine. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Brother Terry, I think, would bear this out. Most of the time when preachers come to this text, they cover the first 20 verses. Because the first nine verses is the parable, then there's 10, 11, and 12 that we'll study tonight. And then the next seven or eight, nine verses is Jesus explaining the parable. And we're going to get to that next Sunday morning. I believe if we unpack this truth, I believe there'll be some things... There'll be some things that will help us today to see where we are in light of our Father. We'll learn these lessons from farming in light of what God wants us to know, do, and be. The natural part of this story, if you've still got your Bible open, the very natural part of this story, and I, Steve and Randy going to come beat me up, but the very natural part of this story is this. Two weeks ago, we were in chapter 3, and if you remember, they came. Jesus was teaching in his house, and they came and said, your family's outside, and he said, who's my family? And he talked about how that spiritual connection is even more important than the earthly connection. You are my brothers and sisters, he said. So in context of this scripture, it seems to me that Jesus then got up out of, out of his chair, out of the house, And he marched down to the lake because he had a big crowd there and he wanted everybody to hear every word. And as the scripture lays it out, he went down to the lake and you say, why did he do that? And I'm about to tell you. He sat down in a boat. He had the water at his back and the crowd filled the mountainside in front of him. Why in the world did he do that? Here's what Jesus, as the designer and creator of the world, Jesus knows what a sound reinforcement water is. He had water behind him. He had the mountain in front of him. Um, One theologian 
who writes on this passage, tells us that he went to that spot where they believed Jesus sat in the boat and taught. And they had a man to go down on the side of the water and everybody to scatter out on the mountainside. And he spoke in a normal tone and you could hear every word because the water is such a great natural acoustical amplifier. Here's what I'm going to tell you. It's better than electronic sound systems. Did you hear our guys trying to fight that electronics today? I mean, if man can design it, it'll mess up. When God designs it, it never messes up. Could I get an amen? And Jesus wanted everyone to hear everything he said. And as he came to the point, you see that in verses 1 and 2, he came and he sat down and the crowd was facing the sea and he was facing them. (coughs) And then he begins, he gets right to the word and he says, listen, this is the truth. In fact, in the the way that I've kind of picked up from uh, Dr. Stanley, Dr. Stanley likes to go like this. Listen up. It means what he's about to say is important. That's Jesus in the old King James. I believe it begins, behold. Here it says, listen, this is the truth. I want you to hear. I want you to comprehend. I want you to respond. I want you to apply. Now, there are three obvious ways, three obvious points of this message, the seed, the soil, the sower. And we're going to take two of them this morning. Because as we learn about farming as God has spoken to my heart, we're just going to we'll take care of the soil next week. I want us to begin this morning as we think about our lessons from farming. What do you think about the sower? The sower. The scripture says that Jesus said, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. One translation says a sower went out to sow, and several things jump out at me very quickly about this sower. I'm a simple guy. I think in simple ways. First of all, Jesus, when he said the sower went out to sow, everybody in the crowd could paint the picture in mind. They had seen that sower going through the field. Probably some of them had been the sower going through it, and they've seen it time and time again. They didn't have to use their imagination. This was as simple as it gets. They could picture him. They could picture that sower in his mind. And what was he doing? Please don't miss this. He was sowing. You go, Jerry, that's kind of crazy. Well, no. Here's what I'm going to tell you. He was sowing. And you know why he was sowing? Because that's what he was born to do. A few weeks ago, I was watching the LPGA on TV and there's one of these 21-year-old young ladies who were playing very well, and one of the announcers says, that's what she was born to do. May I say this to you? If you've been born into the family of God, you have been born to do something special as assigned by God himself. You see, this sower... He wasn't a sower because he was sowing. He was sowing because he was a sower. Wait a minute, Brother Jerry, that's biblical double talk. Well, no, it's not. Please listen. It's not what you are. It is not what you do that makes you what you are. It is what you are that makes you what you do. In another way, here's what I will say. It always begins on your inside. 
Whatever you are starts from the inside out. Whatever a seed becomes, it starts from the inside out. The Bible tells us this in so many ways. It says, the Bible teaches us, out of the heart flows the issues of life. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. With the heart, man believes. So here, this is the truth. What you are is from your heart. Now let's push that just a little bit further. Every person in this room, every person in this room is by nature a sower. You're sowing something. You're sowing something with your life. You're sowing either the good news of the gospel of Christ, you're sowing a Christ-like attitude, or you are sowing something from someone else. Because you see, whatever you are inside, you are sowing to this world, just like the sower has the seed in his hands and he sows that seed. You and I sow whatever's in our heart. We'll get to the seed in a second, okay? But I want to just take you, I want to, for the sake of an argument this morning, I want to pretend like everybody in this room has the good seed of Jesus in their heart. I want to pretend like everybody has trusted Christ to save them, has allowed Christ to change them, and they have the good seed in their heart. So now... I ask you, what kind of sower are you? I want to suggest to you there are at least three types of sower. First of all is the one that I'll call the inconsiderate sower. This is a person who possesses the good seed. This is the one who has gone out into the field and has the seed in his hand. He has the seed of the Word of God run coursing through his veins, and he simply refuses to share it. Oh, Brother Jerry, I can't share the seed of the good news of gospel of Jesus. Well, you know what? Why is it that the only thing in the world you can't change, you can't talk about is the things that give life eternal? Because I know this bunch. I've been here a while. No one in this room has a problem expressing themselves. Could I get an amen? You see, the truth is, the inconsiderate person is the one who holds the seed. And and, and instead of choosing to spread the seed, he chooses to hold on to the seed. He's got this attitude. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. And oh, by the way, be offended if you like. But that attitude basically says to the world, go to I'm reminded of Penn Gillette, the entertainer. We put him up on this screen a few years ago, and he says, how much, he's an atheist for those who are not here, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe in hell and not tell them about it? The inconsiderate sower. The one who has never opened his mouth, will never open his mouth To invite someone to Christ, to invite someone to church, to invite someone to Bible study. 
inconsiderate. Second sower that I see is the inconsistent sower. Man, you think, well, this is maybe a little bit better. Well, this is a guy who helps occasionally. This is a guy who will sow the seed occasionally, a little here, a little there. From time to time, he'll get involved. As long as it doesn't affect his schedule, if it doesn't affect his money, if it doesn't affect his comfort, if it doesn't affect his convenience to the church, this is the guy that's like popcorn. He's up one week and down the next week. How you doing? Well, bless God, it's great. Ten minutes later, how you doing? You know, I think the world's falling down. The in, inconsistent one is, is the one that, that will only spread the seed when it is convenient for him, when he wants to, when he feels like it. And you know what his problem is? Please listen. It's a deep-seated problem. He does not see the harvest. He has no clue about the harvest. He only sees what's important to him. All he sees is, man, if I plant seed, if I give my life to that church, if I attend outreach, if I go knock on my neighbor's door, it takes time away from me. He's all about me. By the way, you guys know I'm not a gardener. I challenge you, don't put your uh, artificial flowers into my care because in my care, artificial flowers will die. But here's what I do know. If you go into a garden and you plant seed in an inconsistent manner, you will either have a sparse crop or you'll have a dangerous crop. From the standpoint of sowing the gospel, this inconsistent person is the most dangerous type of sower. Because you see, he will sow enough to satisfy himself, but he'll never sow enough to satisfy the master. You know what he's called in biblical terms? Jesus termed him in Revelation chapter 3 when he called him Luke Warren. If you were to rate your spiritual temperature today based on how you lived and the amount of time you spent with God and how you walked with God this past week, where would your spiritual temperature be? Would it be cold, warm, hot? The inconsiderate sore, the inconsistent sore, the third type of sore is the indispensable This is the one that you can't live without. This is the one you can count on. This is the one the church can count on. This is the one the pastor can count on. This is the one the leadership can count on. It's the one that Jesus can count on because he's faithful, because he's consistent, because he's selfless, because he's ready. He doesn't sow just because he has a seed and knows he has the good seed in his hand. He sows because of what's in his heart. He sows with a view of the harvest in mind. Do you know why most churches in America today are dying? Because we are trying to reap a harvest in unseeded fields. If you try to seed in the unseeded field... You'll come up empty. 
Are you sowing today? What are you sowing today? Who is it in your life today that's any closer to Jesus today than he was a week ago? Is there a neighbor that you're sowing a seed into? Is there a friend that you're sowing a seed into? Or is your seed the seed of just coming and seating in a service? That brings us talk about the types of sowers. That brings us to the seed. And I asked... Not in a mean spirit, but I ask, what are you on the inside? When no one's around, when you're all alone. You see, I look here in verse 4 and it says, some seed, there's a seed. Verse 5, other seed. Verse 7, other seed. Verse 8, still others. And then verse 14 tells us, and we'll get to that next week, that the seer, the sower, sows the word. So in context, Jesus is saying that the seed is the word of God. And I ask what you are on the inside because your ability to sow the word of God, to sow the good seed comes directly from who you are inside and whose you are. That means that our beginning is to make sure that we have the good seed of salvation, the gospel of Christ, resident in us. Let's hover there just for a second. There is a group of men that surround your pastor that I, for which I am thankful. We pray together. We talk together. We share together. And every time we have a testimony service, it always comes back to lost church members. Somebody gets, says, well, I was a... J.D. Taylor is one that won't mind me mentioning his name, how he talks about in his testimony how for years and years he didn't know the Lord, and then one day he got saved. Can you tell your story of your salvation experience. Can you tell... Now, whoa, I'm not asking, can you tell us about that campfire night where y'all sang 37 times Kumbaya and everybody cried. I am not talking about the time you walked down the aisle and took the preacher by the hand. I'm not even talking about when you were baptized, whether it was in a river or a baptistry. I'm talking about the time that Jesus came into your life and He changed your life from the inside out and you've never been the same and you've never gotten over it. Can you tell that story? Because you see, if you can't tell that story, then probably Jesus, as many times as you want to sing in the garden, then probably Jesus doesn't really walk and talk with you and tell you that you're His own. Because if you're His own, you walk with Him every day. Every time I read this passage, I'm reminded of, of what the half-brother of Jesus, James, who probably heard this message, because I kind of think the family hung around to hear what Jesus was going to say, but James wrote, and he asked this question. He said, rhetorically, now see, Alan, so I will explain that. Alan, that means, 
It doesn't require an answer. Rhetorically, he says, can good water and salt water come from the same well? And the obvious answer is no. Can bad water come from a good well? I don't think so. Can good water come from a bad well? I don't think so. It can only come from change. You see, the Bible tells us that the heart above all things is deceitful. And the seed of our lives is what is in our heart. So give me just a second to offer you three types, three three truths about seed. First of all, begin with the types of seed. Types of seed. I'm not a gardener. I've said that. But I've watched gardeners do their best. My dad was one. Do their best to make sure that every seed they put in the ground was good. And some of you are going to say, well, Brother Jerry, you said that what he's talking about here is the seed of the Word of God. Isn't that always good? Well, it is if you present it in total, if you rightly divide the Word. But can I ask you a question, 21st century Americans? Have you ever considered how we weaken the impact of God's Word when we compromise it? And I submit to you that in America today, that is what we tend, are tending to do. We tend to try to want to help God's Word to become more pliable, to become more, to become more uh, uh, receptive, that people will receive it better, because we don't even want to be uncomfortable with the gospel. May I just say this to you? The, un, the, the gospel, uncompromised gospel, is offensive. Corinthians, in Corinthians, Paul writes, the preaching of the cross is an offense to the world. You see, the, the truth is, you don't have to protect the gospel. You just have to let it go. Because just like when you plant that seed into the ground, and you don't even know what's going on under the ground, just like given time, that seed in itself has the power to punch through that hard exterior surface, you put the uncompromised gospel in the heart of a lost man, and it has the power to penetrate. I'm afraid that today we've cut the heart out of the gospel by our human and humanistic approaches to the gospel. The gospel reveals truth. It's an uncomfortable truth. It reveals truth about sin. It reveals truth about eternity. It reveals truth about life. And we, we try to make it more acceptable. We try to make it more pliable. When we, when we compromise it, we are guilty of preaching another gospel. And Paul says, if you preach another gospel, let you be accursed. Anathema in the Greek. I want to suggest to us, no, I want to submit to us that every day, wherever we go, we are sowing seed of some kind. Your life sows seed. Sows it into that person you meet. Maybe that waitress that waits on your table, she gets things a little messed up. And so you refuse to temper it, and you show yourself, and you dishonor God. 
What you don't know about that waitress is she's there at work because she doesn't have any other source of income. And maybe her 18-month-old's in the hospital fighting for life. Maybe it's a waiter that's waiting on you. And, and he's, you think he's got an attitude. And he thinks you got an attitude. And guess what? What you don't know about him is his wife the night before said, I am leaving. I'm not ever coming back. What kind of seed do you plant in situations like that? Can you speak grace into their life? You speak heartache into their life. The types of seed. I want to give you the truth about seed. The truth about seed. Just a couple of truths. Let me tell you, this is a news flash. You will never grow tomatoes by planting watermelons seed. You got that? Is that one of those lessons you learned a long time ago you'll never forget? You'll never grow good tomatoes if you have bad tomato seed or bad tomato plants. You know why? Because your seed or your plant can't change itself from bad to good any more than can it change itself from being an apple to an orange. The seed of your life will only produce what you are. And if you're mama negative, or father fractured, if your life speaks of pessimism, If your life speaks of an evil attitude, guess what? I would suggest that you're a miserable person. And I was told a long time ago, misery loves company. By the way, whatever seed you plant, you don't do anything about the growing Oh, you can water it, you can fertilize it, you can even break up the ground, but you can't do anything about the growing. The seed that you plant, whatever you plant, that's what comes up. Three laws of sowing that Jesus taught in Galatians 6, 7, 8, and 9. I'll paraphrase you for, for me. You always, you always reap exactly what you sow. You will always reap later than you'll sow. And you'll always reap more than you'll sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. But whatever a person sows, he'll weep. And I'm convinced today. Please listen. Listen up. I'm convinced that many people sow their, are sowing their wild oats and praying for crop failure. That brings us to the last thought. The test for the seed. The test for the seed. This is going to be highly personal. If you look back over your life, and don't look at your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad. If you look back over your life, what does the fruit of your life reveal about you?
Does it reveal that you've been sowing good seed and thus producing good fruit? Or does it show that you're sowing other seed? Look at your family. Look at your friends. Look at those you have influence with. And just take an objective look at what seed you've sown into their life and what has been produced in their life. I was preaching on this text one time and making this point. Afterward, a lady came up to me and said, How dare you? I said, What are you talking about? How dare you? My ki- you know my kids are going astray. And I said, Did I call you by name? Most of the time when people get mad at me, I wasn't the one that called them by name, but I'm the one that took the fall. Y'all got what I'm saying? Another voice going on. And I looked at her, and this is what I said. I said, Hey, I'm easy. She goes, huh? I go, you tell me that you're producing good fruit? I have to take it at face value. And she said, I'm telling you. Just as she turned to walk off, I said, one last thing. I said, I may be easy, but God's not. God knows what's on the inside. God knows the seed you planted. God knows the fruit that you've produced. So I ask you today, what if God were standing here and with those eyes of fire that we see in Revelation 1 and he was looking through all the fluff of your life and he was looking to the very heart? What kind of seed would he see? Let me twist the knife a little bit. He is here. And those eyes of fire are looking. And you can fool your preachers, your deacons, your Sunday school teachers, and your best friends as long as you want. But he knows what's going on in your heart. The sower and the seed. You're a sower. What are you sowing? There might be someone here who has never embraced the seed of Jesus because you've never seen yourself like this. The Bible says God demonstrated his love. Mm, Love. God demonstrated his love. L-O-V-E. L. God has set up a law. You may not like it. We know it is the Ten Commandments. Psalm 19 says the law is perfect in reviving the soul. The law was given so we could see how bad we were, not to save us. The Bible says if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. Ever told a lie? Ever coveted? Ever taken the Lord's name in vain? That's just three. I probably got most of us with three right there. We're a lawbreaker. Which leads us to the O, which is the offense. We've offended God's law because we're a lawbreaker. The Bible says, uh, none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned. 
V stands for the verdict. The Bible tells us that the whole world is guilty before the Father. And you go, whoa, Brother Jerry, that doesn't sound much like love to me. And that brings us to the E. It stands for escape. How shall I escape if I neglect so great a salvation? And the, chance, and the answer to that is, you will not. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. For God demonstrated His love like this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A couple of times in Scripture it says, what must I do? And the answer is, repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never allowed Christ to come into your life, today is the day. It's not about the singing of Kumbaya. It's not about walking an aisle. It's not about being in the baptistry. It's about a change that happens in your life. It's not just a behavior change. It's a being change where he changes you from the inside out. If you've never done that, why not do it today? But for those who have done, we're talking about sowing the seed. But Jerry, I don't sow a lot of seed because what difference can I make? This lost world of humanity, our our country is is going down the drain. What difference can one person make? And I conclude with the oldest story I've ever heard. And it's still as true today as the first time I heard it. The storm had come in on the ocean, washed all the starfish as far as the eye could see up on the beach. Little boy's walking down the beach and picking up a starfish and throwing him back, picking up a starfish and throwing him back. Older man walked up and said, what are you doing? He says, I'm saving starfish, and he never stopped. He said, son. Look at all these. There's got to be a million starfish here. You're not going to make a difference. You're not going to make a dent. There's going to be no difference. And the boy picked up the fish, and he says, I'll make a difference for this one. And he threw it back in. You see, you're not told to save the world, but there are some folks in your life that you need to be sowing seed to, that their life can be changed by the power of God. Are you sowing the seed? Let's pray together.